Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. You know, in a world of in a world of junk mail, in a world of bulk mailings, in a world of, of social media and direct messaging, receiving a, a personal handwritten letter in the mail, it's a refreshing change, isn't it? Uh, just think about all the commitment uh, that's involved in sending uh, that personal handwritten letter, right? First, somebody has to take the time, sit down, find a pen and some paper, and sit down and write a letter, and your hand gets cramped when you're doing that right and uh, things like that right then they have to address the envelope they have to put a stamp on it find a stamp first and foremost right put a stamp on it then put it in the mail and, and wait it seems like an eternity for the mail carrier to come and, and deliver it right it, it's much quicker just to pull out your phone send a text message send a snap uh, or even just pick up the phone and make a phone call Remember when we did that? Uh, we don't do that anymore, right? But there is something special about getting just a, a personal handwritten letter in the mail. My grandparents are wonderful at this. They, they never miss Liz or I's birthday. Each, each one of our kids gets a card in the mail uh, on their birthday. At each one of the holidays, a personal letter is refreshing. And I mention that because today's sermon text is a personal letter. It is, I believe, probably the most personal letter in all of Scripture. Uh, Paul wrote this letter as a prisoner who was making an appeal. Uh, but it wasn't that kind of appeal that this prisoner was making. He, he makes an appeal on behalf of a new believer, Onesimus, who Paul had the, the honor of sharing the gospel with. Uh, Paul's making this appeal to Philemon, and, and he begins to, well, let's, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves and down that road yet. Uh, we'll get to the story when it comes to it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, they'll find the book of Philemon. It's a, it's a tricky one to find. It's after the Timothys and Tituses, I and mean, before Hebrews there. It's, it's the shortest letter that Paul wrote. Uh, it takes up just one page on my Bible. And if you're keeping score at home, it's actually the third shortest letter in all of the New Testament. It might even be the third shortest book in all of the Bible. Um, only second and third John are, are smaller than it. And Philemon, while it is a short book, it is a, an important book that we would do well to pay attention to. In Philemon, we discover that the gospel informs every relationship that we participate in, and therefore we need to start thinking of the eternal implications of these present realities. And we're going to read the entire book of Philemon this morning, but I want to read just the first seven verses as we get into it, and, and it'll set the stage before we get to the meat of the text. So Philemon Verses 1 through 7, it's on page 940 in your pew Bible. Would you stand with me this morning, if you are able, as I read the word of the Lord? Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, a beautiful morning and a chance to gather together, Lord, in your house with your people. And we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that our sins have been forgiven, that there is a Redeemer who has washed us clean of our sins by his blood. And thank you for that message and that truth as it permeates our hearts. It affects not just our relationship with you. First and foremost, it does, but it also impacts how we view one another and how we live in this world. And we pray that we would be able to take that gospel message that we know so well, that we cherish, that we love, and that you would apply that uh, in our hearts and our lives and, and in every relationship that we have. And again, Father, we ask your presence here today that you would be here with us in your midst. Holy Spirit, move today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Did you notice how Paul uh, introduced himself in his greeting to Philemon in verses 1 through 3? In Paul's greeting to Philemon, he doesn't introduce himself in his official capacity as an apostle. He doesn't list his credentials. He doesn't expound on God's calling in his life. These things Paul would do in his other letters. But this letter is a personal letter, so he leaves off all of those other credentials. And he introduces himself simply as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul, a prisoner. And this was Paul's imprisonment in Rome. This is the story that, that takes up the last third of the book of Acts. Uh, Paul's arrested in Jerusalem for preaching and for teaching about Jesus. And he appealed his case to Caesar, which as a citizen of Rome, he had uh, the right to do. And he spends two years in prison, probably 60 to 62 AD, two years in, in house arrest in Rome. And he has the opportunity, as he's in house arrest in Rome, to write a handful of churches and individuals' letters. And we have most, uh, many of those today, and Philemon is one of those. And just like letters today, Paul's letter had an addressee, a couple of them actually, right? It was addressed primarily to Philemon, and it was also addressed to Apphia, who many scholars believe was Philemon's wife. And then also to Archippus, who, who probably would have been Philemon's son. Uh, the letter is also addressed to the church that met in their house. Uh, Philemon lived in the city of Colossae, uh, the same place that Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. Uh, the, the church there wasn't founded by Paul. We have no record of Paul ever visiting there. But Philemon and his wife and his kids probably came to know Christ through uh, evangelism, outreaches, and, and efforts of other churches in the area around Colossae, um, just down the road. So, so what else do we know about Philemon? 
It turns out we don't know a whole lot else. We know that he was probably a man of means, probably pretty wealthy by the standard of the day. But really, that's all we know about Philemon. But Paul knew about him. And that's more important. Uh, And the word of of Philemon's faith in Jesus Christ and faithfulness in serving the church had made its way to Paul in prison in Rome. And there was much Paul could commend uh, Philemon for. And that's the next point in your outline there, Paul's commendation of Philemon. Paul's commendation of Philemon. First, Paul commends, congratulates Philemon uh, for his love and his faith. He says in verse 4 and 5, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. The early, the early church was a small, close-knit community, even if it was spread out over thousands of miles. Word traveled fast from one church to the next about how the gospel was spreading and going different places and how more and more people were coming to the faith. And now Paul, imprisoned in Rome, had heard through the grapevine about Philemon and about the church in Colossae there that was meeting in his home. And it cheered Paul greatly to hear that. And Paul had also heard about Philemon's zeal in sharing his faith and evangelism. He said in verse 6, he said, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Jesus Christ, or for the sake of Christ. Paul's prayer for Philemon was that as Philemon shared his faith, that the message of the gospel, that it would become effective. And there's a, there's a wonderful promise in Scripture that God's word, as it is read, as it is shared, as, as, as believers share their faith with, with non-believers, God's word does not return void. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11 say this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that purpose for which I have sent it, and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. It's amazing, isn't it, to see uh, the harvest happening already. Right? We had such a late, such a wet spring here that the many were worried that we wouldn't get the crops in early enough. But these last few weeks, farmers have been taking wheat off and, and the beets are already opening. Uh, God knew just how much rain we would need, just how much moisture to send, uh, just how much sun and warmth the crops needed for the harvest. And, and the Lord knows that just as there is a return on the investment in, in planting, there's a return on the investment of his word. As it is read, as it is shared, as it is preached, God's word doesn't return to his ears without accomplishing his purposes. And that's a promise that I, as a pastor and teacher, have to cling to. Uh, I, I teach a lesson in, in saltines, or I, I preach a sermon in a context like this, and, and I often wonder later on, right, did, did that land, did it connect, did it make an impact? And honestly, it isn't up to me as a pastor or teacher to change hearts and lives. 
That's the Lord's work. That's the work of, of the, the word of the Lord through his Holy Spirit. I simply need to relieve the results to the Lord and let his work do its work. Uh, yeah, his word do its work. There we go. He, he knows who needs to hear what and when they need to hear it just at the right time. And the same thing goes for you as you share your faith with others. You are sharing your faith with others, aren't you, right? The reason for the hope that you have within you. I don't want to guilt you into evangelism or into witnessing, but when was the last time that you had an opportunity to share your faith, share the gospel with somebody else? If it's been a while, maybe, maybe it's time to do so again. We're so quick to, to talk about the weather, to talk about small uh, politics, sports. We, we excel at small talk, but we oftentimes neglect the deeper spiritual matters, one with another. And I'd be encouraging you uh, to be in prayer, constantly be in prayer, and ask the Lord to make use of you and the sharing of your faith to be a light, to be a witness for somebody. Because the reality is you are, whether or not you know it, you are making an impact on others simply by being you. So what kind of impact are you making? Is it a positive one? Is it a negative one? Whom, who does your life promote? Does your life promote you or does it point to Jesus? Are you telling the story of yourself or are you telling the story of Jesus? And the promise of Scripture and the power of Scripture, too, is that when God's Word is shared, it's powerful and it's effective and it will accomplish the purposes for which the Lord sends it. And Paul knew that truth well. He knew that when Philemon shared his faith, shared the good news of the gospel, that it would be effective in the lives of those who heard it. And I pray that it would be effective in your own life as well. And there's a, another truth in Paul's commendation of Philemon. Um, we've been created for community. In verse 7, Paul says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The reality is that, that human beings have been created for community. And it's something that we're going to talk about in a little bit later detail later on. But, but notice that, that as Paul commends Philemon for his faith and love, Paul says that the saints in Colossae have been refreshed through Philemon. I hope you have those, those people in your life who, after talking to them, you, you just feel refreshed and, and recharged. I know that even I, as, as an introvert, one who refreshes by time alone and uh, reflection, I'm constantly refreshed and rejuvenated as well by, by many of you, by your presence, by your joy, by your love. It, it encourages me and it keeps me going. We need one another. We have been made, created for community. Let's keep, let's keep reading through Philemon. In verse 8, we get to read uh, really the reason for Paul's letter, his appeal for Onesimus. Look again, verse 8, and I, and I think I'll just read all the way through the end of the book, all the way through the end of Philemon here. Paul says this, he says, 
Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing, owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There are two items that emerge in the, in the bulk of this letter to uh, Philemon, and it's Onesimus's story and then Paul's appeal. So Onesimus's story, we're not told the exact details of his story, but we can reasonably fill in the details on Onesimus's life. Most believe that he was a slave of Philemon and at some point ran away. Um, maybe he was a thief. Paul kind of hints at that in verse 18 where he says, if he has wronged you, if he owes you anything, right, charge that to my account. So many scholars believe that maybe uh, Onesimus had, had stolen something from Philemon and then took off and ran. Um, others say that maybe he was a, a, a useless, lazy slave. That's maybe kind of what Paul hints at in verse 11 when he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's useful to me. And useful is a kind of a play on Onesimus' name. His name, Onesimus, means useful. Um, and so some maybe think he was a lazy slave and, and thus was you know, stealing from his master as well. Uh, useless, right, isn't exactly a designation you want on your year-end uh, review by your employer. <laughs> right, how was Keziah? Useless, right? <laughs> Nobody wants that, right? But Paul says that now he is useful to me. And however it happened, he, he ran away, he fled from uh, Philemon in Colossae and fled to Rome, probably a journey of around a thousand miles. And there he encountered some Christians, and later on he, he met Paul. Uh, Paul, again, was under house arrest, and so some Christians must have, must have brought Onesimus to Paul. And Paul was able to share the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus believed. 
Maybe he had began to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus back at home when he sat under Philemon or was you know, a slave in his house, things like that, and it didn't click. But now as he, as he sits with Paul and he hears Paul's share of, of sin and redemption, of, of the fall and restoration, and he hears the good news of Jesus Christ who died in his place and on his behalf, Onesimus believes the message of the gospel and becomes a, a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, that sort of thing. Onesimus is now a believer in Jesus. And Onesimus begins then to serve Paul and to meet his needs. Uh, it talked about there yeah, in verse 11, he's useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me. Uh, back in the first century A.D. when Paul wrote this, um, prisoners didn't have the same status that they do today. The government didn't provide meals or, or room and, and board for prisoners, right? They didn't provide them clothing. Friends and family were a prisoner's only means of support. And so if you didn't have somebody bringing you food, taking care of you, in that regard, you would go hungry. And so Onesimus probably served in that capacity, helping Paul out in that regard. He would have been extremely important to Paul, helping him out with his physical needs. And Paul would have liked to keep Onesimus around and in his service. Um, he said, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf. <laughs> I don't want to get rid of him because he's been helping me out, right? Um, but one way or another, Paul and Onesimus must have decided that Onesimus needed to return to Philemon. Wrongs needed to be righted. Mistakes needed to be corrected. Justice needed to happen. And so one way or another, they decide that, yeah, the time is right now, Onesimus, for you to return to Philemon. And typically, there were, there were severe penalties for a runaway slave. Slave catchers would be out to get them. So it would have been very dangerous for Onesimus to make that return journey to, to Colossae of, of a thousand miles without some accompaniment. And so we know actually from the book of Colossians that Paul sends this letter to Philemon and the, the letter of Colossians with a man named Tychicus. And they sent them on together back to Philemon and back to uh, restoration there. And Paul makes this appeal then as he sends this letter on behalf of Philemon. And it's really found in verses 17 and 18. And he says, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Receive him as you would receive me. Paul has appealed to Philemon, imploring him, encouraging him as one Christian brother to another. Again, Paul doesn't flout his apostolic uh, authority, which he could have commanded such reconciliation, and he's, he's done that in other places and out, throughout Scripture. But here he appeals to Philemon as a brother in Christ. And he appealed to Philemon to receive as well as a brother in Christ. Receive him as that brother in Christ that he has now become. Don't view him as the slave who stole from you and ran away. Uh, don't view him as that thief. But view him, Paul encourages him, as a brother in Christ. Yes, Onesimus would continue probably to serve as a slave, as a bondservant in Philemon's house, but, but that relationship status now is only a minor distinction. 
Paul knew and Paul wanted Philemon to know as well that our relationship with Christ colors every relationship that we have. The gospel changes how we view our status with one another. The old saying is true, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Your employment status doesn't matter before God. Your GPA is meaningless. Before the throne of God, all that matters is your relationship with Christ Jesus. And in that, all believers are equal, whether slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female. All are equal before the Lord. So in his, in his appeal to Philemon, Paul wanted to remove any barriers to Philemon's acceptance of Onesimus, even financial encumbrances. He says in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul knew that money can often be a hindrance for restoration and forgiveness. Uh, right? A business partner who, who takes more than her share, a, a divorcee who takes more than he's due, a, a friend who forgets to pay you back. Right? Things like that happen, and it can be hard to forgive and forget when you're thinking about thousands or, or tens of thousands of dollars. And, and Paul, as he appeals to Philemon, Paul wanted to remove every hindrance, even if it cost Paul something. If he's wronged you, Philemon, Paul says, put it on my tab. I'll cover it for you. And unfortunately, we, we don't know exactly what happened to Onesimus and Philemon. There's no follow-up letter from Paul congratulating Philemon on his reception of Onesimus. We don't have any records outside of Scripture that, that tell the tell us of the Colossian church and of the restoration that happened. Uh, I'd like to think that Paul's appeal here was successful and that Philemon did receive back Onesimus and that their relationship was restored and enhanced by, by Onesimus's newfound faith. That's what I would like to think, and that's what I'm going to believe, and that's what I'm going to <laughs> encourage you to believe as well. And I hope you found this short letter uh, pretty helpful in your own life, and your own walk with uh, Jesus. But before we do that, there are a few things that I want to look at as well, kind of in connection with this. And as we read Philemon, there's, there's one topic that looms large, and it's sort of the, the elephant in the room that we haven't addressed yet, slavery. Right? What does the book of Philemon teach us about slavery? And what does it teach us about how uh, we interact with, with others and, and different things like that? And when we hear the word slavery, we often think back to the 17 to the 18 and, and to the, the slavery in the South, right? The slavery in, in the United States was racially motivated, and the African who were enslaved were often treated worse than animals. And to be sure, there were slave owners who did treat their, um, their slaves with respect, viewed them as people worthy of, of dignity and respect, but those were few and far between. On the whole, slavery was a brutal institution that had no respect for life. Uh, slavery in the pre-war South was awful, and the Christians who uh, opposed, opposed it and were seeking absolution, we should commend but we need to be careful of, of reading, of unintentionally reading our modern categories of slavery into the context of the first century Roman world. In the Roman world, slavery was, for, for better or for worse, it was uh, ambiguous. It was everywhere. It was accepted as the normal way of life. 
And it was, uh, it's estimated that one-third of the people in Roman cities all over were slaves. Slaves served in, in all type of capacities, from forced labor in salt mines to, to serving their masters much as a, as a butler or a valet would have in a respected British household in, in Edwardian England. Many slaves ran businesses for their master. They were in charge of the education and the rearing of children. In general, slaves were treated very well by their masters. They were, after all, an investment that they didn't want to mistreat. And, of course, there were exceptions to that. Uh, but slavery in, in the New Testament uh, wasn't based on race either. Yes, the Roman army captured barbarians and sold them into slavery, and others would sell themselves into slavery to pay a debt or, or voluntarily as a career choice. You weren't going to become rich by being a slave, but it did place you under the care and the protection of your master who was required by law and by conscience to feed and to clothe and to shelter you. And if slavery was the only way that you could afford and obtain food and clothing and shelter, it was better than the alternative. There were no government assistance programs, no welfare or anything like that, no homeless shelters. So slavery did provide many people with those essentials. And hear me out, I'm not here extolling the, the values or the benefits of slavery. I'm not arguing that we should uh, go back to that practice, but I am very grateful for the abolition movements, for the civil rights movements, those sorts of things. Um, but I just want to paint the, the proper context of slavery as Paul and Philemon and Onesimus would have seen it. And what's more, you know, in, in the church today, regardless of, of one's status, as a slave or a freeman, Christians are, are required to treat one another, uh, Christian and non-Christian alike, with love and kindness and respect. And because of Christ, the distinctions that we place on people don't divide. In Christ, Paul said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul isn't advocating for equality in the same way many argue for equality today. He acknowledges that we have our unique roles and responsibilities within the church, but in terms of our identity before God, we are all on equal footing. Being did not diminish your standing with the Lord. Being a woman isn't an automatically a second-class designation. We, yes, we have our unique roles and giftings within the body of Christ, but in Christ we are all one. And that reality brings us to another important application that we can draw from the book of Philemon. Christians are not autonomous. Christians are not autonomous. Rugged individualism uh, doesn't apply uh, in a Christian context. We are built for community, and we need one another. Christians are a part of the body of Christ, and each one of us is an important member in it. Paul told Philemon in verse 7, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The saints, those in the Colossian church and elsewhere, uh, needed Philemon because of the refreshment and the encouragement that he brought to them. And he needed them. He needed their mutual support and encouragement as well. And that's why I think Paul not only addressed this letter to Philemon, to Philemon's wife, Philemon's son, but to the church as a whole. Paul knew that for Philemon, taking Onesimus back um, and forgiving him of his crime might be a difficult task. And Onesimus 
might have, have, have cost Philemon some serious capital. And Paul wanted to involve the entire congregation of, of the church there in this endeavor of restoration and forgiveness. He wanted to allow them to see forgiveness in action. Christian author and theologian Douglas Moo put it uh, pretty strongly when he wrote, In Christ, we belong to one another. We enjoy each other's company and support, and we are obligated to support our brothers and sisters to the point of sacrificing our own time, interests, and money. We are obligated, he says. Who do you know that needs your company, your friendship, your support? We can be a friend in small ways. Sometimes all it takes to change a day or a week is is a simple smile or a a handshake or a hug or or a greeting when you meet somebody. But often supporting and helping one another requires some sacrifice on your part. It requires some dedication. Instead of (laughs) complaining about the neighbor who can't keep up on his lawn, get to know them and offer to mow their lawn for them. Right? Make a meal for, for the single mom on your block. Visit the elderly man now confined to a nursing home. Write a letter, a personal handwritten letter to somebody. You might just make their day or their week or their month. This morning, we have the opportunity here to come together as the body of Christ to participate in Holy Communion. And as we do, we come to the Lord, yes, first and foremost as individuals in need of his grace and mercy and forgiveness, but we also come corporately as a congregation, as his body, as the church. What happens during communion is ultimately between you and the Lord, but yet as you kneel down on this altar rail, you are kneeling next to your brothers and sisters in Christ who come from all walks of life and who come from a multitude of backgrounds. I invite you to come to Holy Communion as you are. We don't let the best dressed come first, the richest come first. No, the ground is level at the foot of the cross and at the communion rail. And we get to rub shoulders with one another, regardless of our status and our employment and things of that nature. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we'll have here in a bit to partake in communion and what that means. And we thank you for the brothers and sisters in Christ that we get to kneel with, those who are farmers, those who are businessmen, those who are students, those who are retirees, and anywhere else in that spectrum of life. And we get to do life with them, yes. We get to participate in communion with them, yes. And we rejoice in that. Father, we thank you for sending your Son as the sacrifice for our sins. We thank you for his blood shed on the cross in our place and on our behalf, Lord. We ask that you continue to use your word in our lives, Lord. We know that it does not return void without accomplishing the purposes that you have sent it for, Lord. And so we again pray that this word of, uh, that you have for us in Philemon would uh, continue to reap benefits and we continue to think about this and meditate on this text as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.